Brothers and sisters, we want to welcome you to our Leadership Enrichment Series. Seems like it's been a couple of months since we've been together, but we're glad you're all here. Not only in this auditorium here, but in 500 locations around the U.S. and uh, other parts of the world, South America. So we're really grateful that you're all here. We have a wonderful opportunity, a wonderful discussion with three of the senior leaders here in the church. Elder Carl B. Cook, who is of the Presidency of the Seventy, Sister Bonnie H. Corden, who is the General President of the Young Women's, and Elder S. Gifford Nielsen of the Seventy. And uh, we'll explain why they're here today and uh, what we hope to accomplish, but we thought we would first start out with a word of prayer and invite the Spirit of the Lord to be with us. So we've asked Alfredo Diaz, uh, who is a plant manager of the Deseret uh, uh, Dairy uh, on Welfare Square, if he would offer the uh, opening prayer. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are grateful for the opportunity that we had to meet together at this moment to learn about ways how we can minister the one at work. We ask at this time to bless Sister Cordon. Elder Cook and Elder Nielsen, with the inspiration that they need at this time to help us understand the ways that we can minister those ones that we work with. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to live during these last days to be able to be guided by living prophet, President Russell M. Nelson. We ask you to bless him with health, strength, and inspiration, so he might continue guiding us on that straight and narrow path that leads us back to that presence again. We are thankful for all the missionaries throughout the world, and we ask you to bless them and protect them as they look for the ones who are ready to receive the gospel in their lives. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for thy Son, Jesus Christ, for his love, his teachings, and his atoning sacrifice for all of us. We love thee, Heavenly Father, and we say these things humbly in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you. So, brothers and sisters, I've had a wonderful opportunity to meet with our three guests today on a couple of occasions, and I'm just telling you the chemistry between the three of them are just wonderful, and I'm just grateful that they not only work well together and communicate well together, but they're also here for a common purpose, which is our topic today on ministering to the one here at work. Now, I want you to know, I did not send out the memo on Wear Blue. How did we do? (laughs) So this is what we're going to do to start out with. We're going to take a little bit different approach than what we've done in the past. I want you to get to know our guests here a little bit better. So we're going to play my version of To Tell the Truth. 
That's okay. We'll, yeah. we'll make it through this, okay? So we're just... We didn't rehearse this. We didn't rehearse this, but that's okay. So what I want to do is to just ask them each a question and say true, untrue, and then have them explain. Okay, that's what we're going to do here. So I want to start out with Elder Nielsen here okay. first and Great. just... I don't know if it's a question or if it's just some tidbits of saying um, Houston Oilers, <laughs> Hall of Fame, you know, I just those kind of things. Is this true or untrue? And maybe you better explain. Let's start out by teaching the principle of humility. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. And that was a big part of my life. And I learned many lessons participating in athletics. I was a young boy growing up in Provo, Utah. And I can remember anything that I could do with a ball, I wanted to do it. Kick it, hit it, shoot it, throw it. I wanted to do it. And I had a dream as a young man. And never knowing if dreams were going to come true to really the way they did come true, but it happened. And so, yes, it was true, and I learned many lessons. In fact, you might hear some of those lessons today. That's great. That's good. So you do kick it, throw it. Have you ever signed a ball? Just a few. (laughs) This is unrehearsed, too. Okay. Well, my dear husband couldn't come today, but when he found out who I was doing it with, he said... I have a football. <laughs> can we do this? Yeah. Can we do this? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> oh. But he has a few signatures on it. <laughs> yeah, he had to find it. Ben. I, I thought she was carrying <laughs> scriptures. <Is> it- <laughs> said anything he could do with a ball, so I was hoping that maybe signing it would be one of them. Should I put his name? No, I'll just do this. Okay, there, okay. Bonnie. Okay. I wasn't planning on that, but there it is. the ball is signed. <laughs> he will be thrilled. Very good. All right, we're off to a good start. I told you this game was going to be fun, Okay. So, Sister Corden, okay, yes. so the thought comes to me, or the words come to me, management in the software industry, true, untrue, please explain. Well, that is true, um, but probably not in the same path that most people get into management in software. I actually graduated in elementary education, and our lives moved us to the Bay Area where um, my husband was getting his MBA. And to make a very painful story a little less painful, I had received names. I needed a job. And I couldn't teach because they needed a special test taken um, to teach in the Bay Area or in California, which was called the CBEST. And it wasn't offered till November, and we couldn't starve between July and November. So I thought if I could get an interim job. And I received a lot of names from people. One of them was a... Um, senior vice president at Oracle Corporation. Not knowing how it works, I took that number and called. And the gal, his secretary, said, I am so sorry, your name is not on the list. (laughs) So I called the next day. 
And she said, you know, your name still is not on the list to be interviewed. So after three weeks of calling every day, wonderful Michelle said, you know what? Your name is on the list. (laughs) And um, I was grateful for somebody who was so kind and looked over a resume that I did not qualify for any of the things that he had, um, but he gave me a chance. And so, yes, I ended up in management in the software industry. Great. Okay. Elder Cook, now I know you spent your whole career in commercial uh, real estate development, but I also just needed to verify it. Some would say that you're a bit of a cowboy, a bit of a rancher. You had a horse named Stubby, so I think you really need to clarify yourself, true or untrue, and please explain. So I thought you were going to say, are you a cowboy fan? And I was going to say, no, I'm a Houston Oilers fan. (laughs) (laughs) I'm I'm with Giff. He converted me, so so I'm I'm an oiler, okay? But... uh, yeah, I grew up in the country, grew up on a little farm and ridden horses all my life. And so this current calling is certainly infringed upon the time that I'd ride horses or do those kinds of things. But yeah, I enjoy it. In fact, our family still has horses. And so if, if there's a day, be good to go. In fact, I'd be more comfortable on a horse right now than I would be sitting here. <laughs> good. Well, look, even though we may have a football legend and uh, management in a software organization or a cowboy or whatever, yes, very different backgrounds or what have you, but you're here not because of your differences. You're here because of what you have in common. And what you have in common, which I'll explain a little later, is that you know what it means to minister to the one work anywhere that you are. You have that reputation. You've had that reputation for a long time. And again, I'll explain that here in a minute. But our topic here today, as it was mentioned in the prayer, is our leadership pattern. Our leadership pattern of two talents. One has to do with leading like the Savior, and specifically about the behaviors that say show respect uh, for all people, and secondly, the behavior of ministers with love and uh, love and kindness to others. And then we're going to combine that with building capability, which the behavior in that one is leads others to become better than they could become. And that's why we're here today focusing on that. And it really, those two behaviors and that kind of combination spells ministering to the one, and we would add ministering to the one at work. Now, here's a special request for all of you. We're asking you to kind of put aside work for just a minute and your cares and your burdens, what have you, and we want you to focus a bit on the Savior and his ability to minister to the one. And we want you to think about what it would be like to be with the Savior to watch that and, and, and witness him ministering to the others and perhaps ministering to ourselves. I want to show you a little a clip, uh, courtesy of Mark Mabry, uh, a friend, and has given permission to the church for us to use it. Uh, he's an extremely powerful uh, artist and uh, has captured the Savior uh, ministering to those in the ancient Americas. And we just wanted you to see this as very brief but it's hopefully designed to get our heads and our hearts around the topic that we want to address here today.
So brothers and sisters, I think we could all, as we went through this, recall a time in our lives when we felt personally ministered to by the Savior, felt of his love. And that's what we want to focus on here today, not just him ministering to the one, but for us to learn how to minister like him even here at work. Now, we talked about the differences of the three of them. Just let me briefly, before we hop into the first question, just explain to you why the three of them together and why them individually. Um, For those of you who know these three, you'll know that they have a reputation of ministering to the one. They love people. They respect people. uh, They care for people. And many of you have been affected by their interaction, your interaction with them. And I think for myself personally, as an example, you know, I think that with Elder Nielsen, we grew up in the same ward, we grew up at Provo High, um, and uh, I watched him do everything with a ball. And I was, you know, a little bit envious that he was so good, but I think that one of the things that really stood out in my mind with Elder Nielsen, we called him GIF back then, was how he worked with other people not just as the captain of the basketball team, but I watched him as a junior basketball player at Provo High. I watched him in terms of how he treated other people and how he showed respect for them, even as somebody who was just in high school at the time. With Elder Cook, um, Elder Cook was a mission president in New Zealand, Auckland, New Zealand. I followed him as a mission president. And this is what I heard from his people all of the time. He loved us. He cared for us. He put us first. What was more important was the individual, not the missionary work. And as a response to that, they wanted to serve the Lord. They wanted to to support him because of the love and care that he had. And with Sister Corden, you, you know, it's not about the fact that she has talked in general conference about shepherding and ministering to the one. She practices it. You talk to the people around her, the people in her office, they will give you story after story of which we got of her taking the time for the one, even with her busy schedule. So why do we have them here today? Why do we have the three of them here today? It's because what they have in common is that they they know how to minister. And that's what we want to talk with them about, is to learn from them and to hear from their experiences. So welcome here. Thank you for being here. Thank you for volunteering to do this. But let's start out with the first question, if we can. First question is, is that it really goes to the leadership pattern about shows respect for all people. And my feeling is that in order for us to be good ministers of people, to, to people, you have to start with the fundamental principle of having respect for other people. So my question to you would be is what from your experience in growing up or in your latter years or your teen years, whenever, what helped you to understand the importance of showing respect to other people that helped you to be a great minister during the course of your life and certainly with a reputation today as a great minister to other people? I'll jump in. First of all, it's I'm inspired by you. It's uh, when I look out and see uh, the commitment and uh, the dedication that you have. We are blessed as a church. So, uh, I had an experience. In fact, it was my first experience with the church headquarters and coming here. So it was 
several years ago, probably 1993, uh, up in the Ogden area. I was called as the state president. And it was like, whoa, you know, this is, get our arms around that. And just a couple of days after I was called, I received a phone call from Elder Maxwell. He said, hello, Elder Cook, this is Elder Neil Maxwell. I thought, whoa, did the apostles call state presidents, you know, just to see how they're doing? I was kind of shocked, you know, <laughs> initially. And uh, then he went on and he said, oh, we're doing a, we're putting together a little training down at church headquarters, and I was wondering if you would just sit on a panel and represent the new state presidents who need some training. And I said, oh, sure. And he said, okay, well, can you come to my office? And he gave me the date and he gave me the time and said, okay, see you then. And I thought, well, you know, I was kind of taken back by the call and thought, wow, this is, this is Salt Lake. I'm going to go to Salt Lake in the church <laughs> office building. It was really kind of new. And I thought, Did you, you know, ride stubby in? No, I, I didn't even wear my boots. I put on my, you know, my dress clothes. And anyway, but I wanted to be early. So I came down and thought, you know, I've got to be early. So I remember you know, pulling in, waiting, coming in, and, you know, maybe 30 minutes isn't too early for an apostle. So it was 20 or 30 minutes, and I went to the rear desk of the church administration building, and, uh, you know, with all the courage, you know, I'm here to see Elder Maxwell. They said, oh, okay, just one second. And they called up and said, Elder Cook's here, President Cook. And uh, they said, oh, come up, and, and gave me the floor. And so I went in, went up on the elevator, you know, not knowing anything about church protocol or timing, and walked into his office, to the secretary's office that was open. And I said, hello, I'm Elder Cook. And immediately, Elder Maxwell stood up from his desk and came out and just gave me a hug, embraced me, and he said, oh, I'm so glad you came early. I thought, oh, good. He said, I I wanted to talk to you. And so he came in, and I still remember in his office there was a couch, and he sat down and he said, so how did you feel? being called. And so tell me about your wife. Tell me about your children. And then I remember questions like, well, what did you do for a family vacation? This was in August. What did you do in July? And I told him. And he said, will you make sure you go on a family vacation every year? And then he says, tell me. And we talked for 30 minutes. And uh, he gave me some insights. And, he, and then at 30 minutes, he said, oh, time for our meeting. And then we got up and we went into the meeting and we took care And so I left, and I thought, oh, that was just wonderful. But then I started to learn more about the church and had a couple of other interviews, you know, with committees and other people putting us on, and they'd say, no, don't arrive too early. (laughs) (laughs) And if you arrive early, just wait down there. And then I started thinking, well, that was so interesting that I just went right up, and he came up. And uh, probably through my life I've always thought, you know, so here's just one person walking into his office. Oh, there you are. Come, sit down, tell me about what you're doing. And uh, it was just a couple of years ago when I came to church headquarters in my office. Uh, my secretary came in and said, oh, your appointment's here. And he's 15 minutes early. And I thought, oh, I've got so much to do. And then I thought of Elder Maxwell. So if there's one experience, and I know as you hear about Elder Maxwell, it just wasn't one once, but that's who he was. And it has shaped my life as far as, you know, instead of, uh, of how you look to people, how you greet people, and uh, how important people are to others. Very good. Thank you.
Bonnie? Well, I have one that um, my father has, has been a big part of my life. And many of you have had um, fathers, parents that have been a big part. But my father was passionately aware of people. And I remember one incident that was fascinating to me. Um, he was a mission president in Portugal, and I was just a young teenager wandering around with him in the streets of Portugal. And Portugal is an amazing place because they have these sidewalks. They're just beautiful, and they're made out of small granite. You know, they're cobblestones, but these small granite cubes, I guess we could say. And there was a man that was sitting with a pile of sand and small granite cubes that he was fixing part of this cobblestone sidewalk. And as we were walking along, I, all of a sudden my dad knelt down in his suit and said, that, you're doing such an amazing work. Tell me about it. And I thought, Dad, get up. <laughs> <You know? laughs> He's sitting down in the sand, and this man's countenance just changed from, from just you know, um, chiseling off a little bit of a granite cube to all of a sudden somebody just being so aware of him. And they sat and visited, and before you knew it, Dad was had the tools in his hand, and he was chiseling the granite cube. And uh, then the man turned to me and said, do you want to place the... I didn't speak Portuguese, but a little translation from Dad. So all of a sudden I found myself on my knees, and we were, we were fixing the sidewalk, all three of us together. Um, but I have thought of that, of how passionate he was about people. You know, the milkman was, he learned so much from the milkman. And um, the garbage man was a great tutor to my father. And I was grateful for um, his insights to just knowing that he could learn from anyone. And would he hate to miss an opportunity to be instructed in a way that his life would be enriched because he didn't take the time to meet with somebody. And so I'm grateful for his example that, you know, just to be passionately aware of people and um, wherever they are, what we will learn and how sad it would be to miss out on that insight. Good. So let me just take a little bit different approach, Ben, because as I watched the video, I was touched. And I was learning what the Savior was teaching me as I watched that video. And that video represents, I think, ultimate respect. And that is to love all of Heavenly Father's sons and daughters. That video to me was all about diversity. And as I think about diversity and the great lessons in the scriptures... I think of 1 Corinthians 12. It's all about diversity. I think of Doctrine and Covenants section 46. It's about diversity. And the 10th chapter of Moroni, right at the end of the Book of Mormon, it's all about diversity. And about how we all bring these different talents together. And the more we bring these talents together and respect each other, the more we're going to win. And we're playing in a big game right now, and it's a very important game. It's the game of life. And we're trying to understand this beautiful principle of respect. I've always been taught that if everybody is together and everybody respects everybody, the chances of winning are great. 
And so the Savior was teaching me that lesson in that beautiful video. It's a great way to start. And then another thing is I watched the Savior in many of those uh, accounts get down to the level of the people that he was ministering to. He just got right down with them. And great leaders that I have seen get down to the level of everyone that they work with. And so this principle of respect is so important. I remember going into the NFL as a backup quarterback. Well, fans love the backup quarterback because you haven't done anything. (laughs) And you just go to practice. And my first start was against the Cowboys. They just won the Super Bowl. It was surreal to come from Provo, Utah and walk out on Texas, the, the, the turf at Texas Stadium and play against the Cowboys who just won the Super Bowl. And it was the Battle of Texas. And to just put my arms around that, well, we were successful that night and we won. And after the game was over with, I answered many questions. And then when the lights went off and all the media were kicked out of the locker room, my coach, Bum Phillips, he was a Texas legend. He wore cowboy boots, wore a cowboy hat, and he was a legend. You talk about diversity. That was Bum. And he came up to me, and I'd only been in training camp for about six weeks, and he came up and he said, I can count on you. I can trust you. No matter what situation I put you in, because this was a big stage, I can trust you. And I think as we are all together and we're working together here at church headquarters, can we trust each other? I wanted to run through the wall for Bum Phillips. I wanted to go to practice early. I wanted to stay late. I couldn't wait to get to practice. Do we all feel that around here? Do we feel totally respected? Because this is a really important work that we're involved in. You know, what he told you made a huge difference. Oh, because as soon as he knew that you, he trusted you, you'd do anything for bum. Absolutely. You know, and you, what you do is you take, your, you take your game from here to another level, and you take it from here to another level. But do we all feel respected? That's what we need to ask ourselves. And as leaders, do we show respect? And if we do that, amazing things can happen. Ooh, well, let me just say this. Miraculous things can happen. So if you take that a little bit to the next, uh, next level, um, you look here with a bunch of leaders who have people that report to them. These are people, uh, managers for the most part. And on the surface, you can say, this person has this talent, and this person has this talent, this person has this talent, all to get the job done. But the reality is that anytime you look at any group, there's challenges, there's issues that they have. You might have somebody who is feeling like, oh, I'm getting more on the senior age here and you know, concerned about whether they're being overlooked. You may have a sister who's concerned about, am I getting the same opportunity, you know, or not because of my gender. Or you might have somebody who's from another country who may have a different accent or speak differently and feel like their word is not getting across. So in any group that we're at, you know, that we have, what can we do to just go on from what you said, Elder Nelson, to just make sure that we are showing the respect to all people, including the challenges or issues that they might have? 
Any thoughts? A lot of thoughts about this because I think this is so important. You know, it's, I was taught at a very young age, Wendy and I, um, as we got married, our one counsel that we were given is just be an example, be an example, be an example, and then learn to celebrate each other's differences. Because if every one of us are the same, this is what we offer the people that we're around. If we have different talents and we bring those different talents, here's what we offer everybody. Is this better than this? And so just think about this. Think of what we offer. And I think of one, I mean, I think of our current first presidency. They are, they are one. I mean, have you looked at it? I'm sure you've seen this. But if you just write on your piece of paper, President Nelson in the middle and President Oaks on one side and President Irene on the other side, it spells one. And I'm not sure if that's what the Lord had intended, but that's what we have right now. And they are one, and they're one with us. In fact, i got to just tell you this cute little story. President Nelson came in a couple of weeks ago, and we were in the general authority lunchroom, and he comes up and he said, Giff, he calls us by our name, Giff, I just about paid your power bill today. And I'm thinking, really? All of our mail is sent here. My wife's name is Wendy Nielsen. His wife's name is Wendy Nelson. And Wendy Nielsen's name was on the power bill. And I said, you just about paid the power bill? My power bill? He said, yeah, for some reason your mail came to me. And I said, have you still got the check? I want to frame that check. Because that's what we see with him. All he wants to do is break down barriers... Bring people together. Just look what's happened in the church in the last year. Break down barriers. Bring people together to accomplish the work of Jesus Christ and this restored gospel. Great. I would add to that. I think, I think we do ourselves a disservice when we judge people. And I've had that problem. I always remember uh, my brother-in-law who was trying to get into it. He, he was admitted into law school. And they would only graduate so many, and you had to be the top of the class. And he said that, you know, when he went the first day, he went there early, and he just said he was looking around, sizing up his competition. You know, who can, who's going to drop out? Who's going to make it? And he said there was one fellow that came in, and he said, you know, he was a little slower, and he came in in a wheelchair. And he thought, oh, okay, there's one, you know, that I'm going to you know, be able to do. And he just said he had that thought. And then that person in the wheelchair not only just came up the aisle, but just kept rolling up to the front and said, welcome to class. I'm your professor. (laughs) (laughs) And and Did he he change his thought? (laughs) He changed his thought. And it changed the way I think. Because sometimes when you get to your descriptions, you know, sometimes maybe an employee comes or a transfer or a hire, and someone says, oh, this is, this is who's coming to work for you. Or maybe it's your impression or someone else's impression, you know, or you know, they're concerned about opportunities or they're old or whatever. But I think when we put labels or judge or put limiting factors on them, then we, then we uh, maybe uh, prevent the Spirit from whispering to us, what their real talents are, what their real abilities are, and maybe how they can contribute. 
So I think in some ways, you know, I mean, we all know that we're not supposed to judge, but I think even if there's some preconceived notions or impressions, and it's just, just treat them as the Savior would treat them. Give everyone the benefit of the doubt. Treat them, and most of the time they'll rise to your expectations is what I'd feel. Great. You know, I love what you said, both of you being one, the big, big picture and not judging. It's wonderful to get to know people. You know, sometimes as you walk out of your office and actually sit in, in the cube or um, be where they're at, you know, it's like when the prophet came up to you and talked to you about the power bill. Uh, I was so amazed. I, was, I know when I was in the primary general presidency, we had many priesthood leaders that we had an opportunity to work with. And I remember one priesthood leader who would come about five, ten minutes early to our meeting. And it wasn't because he wanted to be early to talk to the general primary presidency at the time. (laughs) He would go around to the staff, and he would just talk to them, and he knew them personally to such a point he knew what was going on with their family. And he'd come and check up with everyone. And I thought, you know, isn't it amazing? He has truly... Um, loved them. And they were always so anxious for him to come. They knew when he was meeting with us, and, and they knew that they too would get a personal visit. I found that um, when I was working in management, ours was in a sales role, and so it was high stress, high turnover. If you don't make your number, you're kind of out, especially in the Oracle world. And um, interesting, as we had, as I had different reps, when they were struggling, I knew if I spent more time in their cube, maybe not so much time in my office, and found out what was going on, things changed. And as they had an opportunity to, to, as I had an opportunity to listen, gave them opportunity to lift a coworker, and they knew they were part of the solution. There was a space to create. They had a space and an ownership. It changed things. And all of a sudden, the machine started working as a well-oiled machine versus just a little piece here and a little piece there. So as you become one... Um, knowing that you have something truly to offer and your management realizes that. I think that's helpful. That's good. If if I can just add, I think, you know, it really starts at the top here with President Nelson. You know, when you talk about coming to a meeting. So just a week, maybe two weeks ago, I was in a general welfare meeting. And so the 12 were there, the presidency, the 70, and many others, some of you who were presenting. So there's probably 20, and we all had arrived early. And uh, just waiting for the meeting to start. And then President Nelson came in and he, he looked up. You know, from the corporate world, sometimes when somebody walks in, it's like, here I am. Yeah. You know, President Nelson walked in. There you are. And as opposed to going up front, he, he proceeded to come right around to just shake everyone else. He came up to me. Hello, Carl B. <laughs> he calls me Carl B. And then he goes to the next, and he just goes to the next. Yes. And, and before the meeting started, just what you said, it, and it wasn't just a, a casual greeting. It was a, you know, look into your eyes. Oh, I'm so grateful to have you here. So, I mean, we're, we're really, we have an opportunity to see those who really practice it. And President Nelson is just yeah. terrific. He, and he knows everyone's name. It's amazing to me. How he does that in a huge room. He will go around and shake everyone's hand. One other thing, there was going to be one issue that was going to be talked about. And so I was with a a couple of the brethren and they said, well, how do you think it will be in this discussion, you know, with President Nelson? And the one said, oh, everything's elevated when you're with President Nelson. 
And, and that's what he does. It just it causes all of you just to be on your best behavior. But that principle is true with him, but it's true in whatever situation we're in and, and whoever we look to to report to. Ben, can I just jump in here one more time? Because I think this is a perfect example of what we're talking about here. Sister Carden and Sister Bingham, I think your husbands were just in Africa, right? And the pictures of, of Sister Carden hugging these little African children, was that not remarkable? Oh, oh and it was like, love. It was like just getting to their level and ministering to them as what we're talking about. Wendy and I were called to be in the area presidency in the Pacific area. As soon as we went to Auckland, New Zealand, here is what we found out very quickly, and this just says volumes about how our reputations will follow us. So what we're doing right now will just carry on and follow us. Carl and Lynette Cook did not know that the one of the first families that we were going to connect with in New Zealand was a non-member family that lived right behind the mission president's home. And so as we went there, they, these, this, this family we talked about, or the family we met with, talked about Carl and Lynette Cook and talked about the porters. And so the reputation was already there because of their actions and the way they live their lives we had an instant connection with that family. So I think once again, all of us say, what kind of a reputation do we have? What kind of a reputation do we want to carry with us? We know about President Nelson right now. We know what's going on here. And we know what President Monson did. And we love President Monson. What kind of a reputation do we have? And do we want that to carry with us and send that message to the people that we come in contact with? And this is these are thir- three perfect examples of that. So this is kind of a perfect time to kind of move on to, and just wanted to show you from last year, the charge from President Nelson to all of us at general conference time in terms of ministering. Let's take a look. Ministers with love and kindness to others. A hallmark of the Lord's true and living church will always be an organized, directed effort to minister to individual children of God and their families. Because it is His church, we as His servants will minister to the one just as He did. We will minister in His name, with His power and authority, and with His loving kindness. So if we follow that charge, I'm confident that he was not just referring to ministering on the weekends or at church or whatever. I think he's saying the Savior would minister 24-7. So here's the, the question for all of you is that there's probably not a single person here in this room or that is listening uh, to this uh, leadership enrichment series who's not got just tons of stuff on their plate. A lot to get done, a lot to deliver, and with the new prophet, you know, President Nelson, many plates are increasing the workload. So how do you kind of get things done and deliver the goods, get results, however you want to call it, and still find time to minister to the one, as the prophet has kind of directed us to do? What do you mean by get things done? Whose list are you trying to... I'm not going to answer that. (laughs) 
Well, let me tell you why I'm thinking about that. You know, those who, who teach the doctrine are powerful. Those who live it are also powerful. But those who teach it and live it really change people's lives. So as President Nelson, as I get to see that clip again, so President Nelson didn't have an assignment on a Saturday, and I received a call. I was kind of on call as a presidency of the 70 and said, Elder Cook, Elder, uh, President Nelson wants to know if you can travel with him. He wants to go to a funeral. I said, oh, sure. And this will be Saturday morning. I didn't have an assignment. And so I met him at the airport. And I thought, oh, you know, you know this is, he's, he's busy. <laughs> I'm going to make sure that I accompany him, but just facilitate what he needs to do because he's the prophet and he has a lot uh, to take care of. So I sat there and he said, oh, I'm so grateful to have you here, Carl B. He said, it's, it's good to be with you. And he said, you know, I was just reading the paper. And he said, usually I'm not able to travel to funerals, but, but this one was a, a son of one of my associates that I went to school with. And the Spirit just said, go to the funeral. I've got a message for the family. He said, and I didn't have an assignment on Saturday. He said, so thank you so much for coming with me. And so we sat down, you know, on the airplane just right next to each other. And I thought, okay, you know, I'm going to get out a book. I'm going to read. I'm going to do my things. And he said, so how are you doing? Oh, doing good. (laughs) (laughs) No, really. How's this new calling? It's, you know, it's a steep learning curve, but I'm doing pretty good. Well, tell me about it. What questions do you have? The whole way there, President Nelson just talked to me. He wanted to know how I felt. He wanted to know what I was doing. And, uh, and said, well, do you have any questions? And allowed me to ask him a few questions. We got to the funeral, and it was a wonderful day, and he stayed later, and we missed, we missed a meal because he was ministering to the family. He delivered his message. We got back on the plane. Okay, you know, I'm going to really get that book. You know, the same thing. Well, talk to me. What did you learn at the funeral today? What did you feel? You know, so what are, what's your upcoming assignments? And when I come home, I just said to my wife, I said, I said, this, isn't, this, this was incredible. I said, I feel like I'm always in a hurry. And I've always got my little list of things that I need to get done. And I, and I know President Nelson is busier than us all, but the whole time I was with him, he, he just had time and he wasn't in a hurry. And uh, as I thought about that, He's a minister, and, and maybe even more important, a disciple of Jesus Christ. And so when you say, well, what's on your list? You know, what's the list? I think if, if you were to say, what's on President Nelson's list? I mean, certainly with conference and with everything else, but when he's with someone, that's the most important thing. And so somehow the Lord must bless him with inspiration to write his talks, to complete everything else, to do what he does. Because my experience is that when you're with him, you're with him. And Mm -hmm. and I think that's Heavenly Father's list. And I think he would have us maybe put more priority on people rather than accomplishments. And at the end of the day, did we do any good, you know, instead of what did I accomplish? Great answer to your question. Sister Gordon. I love that. Um, A great manager here actually in the church said, I always ponder at the end of the day how I'm sending 
my people home to their families. And as I heard Elder Cook talk about how he went home after being with the prophet, being so edified, and I thought, boy, that's something to ponder. As you are in leadership and so many leadership roles, how are the people that are reporting to you, how are they going home because they have an opportunity to work in your organization? Um, And so it just made me ponder what you said. I know that when um, I was called to be the general young women's president, I was so touched after being in President Nelson's office and he extended the call. He never asked if I'd do it. He just extended the call. <laughs> and, but the sweet thing about um, President Nelson is he never forgets the special touch to lift someone. And as we were leaving, he said, oh, I have something for you. And he turned around and grabbed a, a small flower bouquet. And he handed it to me. And, um, of course, totally overwhelmed, but just then so grateful. Um, And Elder Holland said, that is a President Nelson touch. And I thought, I hope that we can, I hope I can have a President Nelson touch and we can all ponder that because that's really the touch of the Savior, isn't it? Yeah. Just being able to lift and, and how are people going home at the end of the day because they work in your department? Next one. Yeah. So I just looked at this scripture in Matthew 20, verse 28, just to build on what Bonnie was saying. Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. And that's who we follow. And we've got powerful examples of that all around us. We carry out the work of the First Presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve, and when they call, we go. And I can remember I was in a meeting one day, Wendy and I lived in Houston, Texas for 35 years. And all of a sudden, we see this natural disaster happening in Houston. 51 inches of rain. Can you imagine that? Just out of nowhere, just started falling, and lives were turned upside down. So I'm here at headquarters, and this is the love of prophets, seers, and revelators. I was in a meeting I get a call, I get handed a note from Cheryl Lee, my secretary, and says, Elder Ballard wants to see you, President Ballard wants to see you in his office immediately. So I told the people that I was meeting with, it's been really a fun time to be together, I've got to go. <laughs> and so I can remember walking into Elder, or President Ballard's office, and Elder Rasband was there, and President Ballard looked at me and said, Gif. We're taking you home. And I thought, wow, is this how it happens? (laughs) I'm glad you came back. Well, when a prophet says something like that, you're always wondering. And he goes, we're going to take you to comfort the people of Houston that have lost so much. And I got a little bit emotional. And I thought, boy, you... You're all so amazing. You're all so amazing. To find time to go help someone whose lives have been turned upside down. And President Nelson just recently just lost his sweet Wendy, his daughter. And between the funeral, he was in California comforting the people who were devastated by wildfires. This stuff is not going to stop happening to all of us. 
This is the world we live in. And I think to get back to what I've just heard by my dear friends and Ben, your question is, we're here to minister. We're here to lift. We're here to help. Do we have our eyes open, our spiritual eyes open, our heart open? Are we really the arms and the legs and the feet, the mind of the Savior? That's what we have a chance to do. And that's what we continue to see happen. And we're trying to do the same thing. But, but the wonderful thing about that example, Gif, is even though it's President Nelson, President Ballard, who prophetically or otherwise would know everything, they still felt a need to know how to minister by talking to someone who was from Houston and including you with, that would, a different perspective, a different lens. And uh, so, so even in that ministering, isn't that something that they would say, oh, who could we take with us to help us be more effective in our ministry? The fact they include you is a lesson to all of us that let's, let's include those who aren't just like us, who would see things differently. Right. Knowing who's in your organization, because I think that's important. They knew who was in their organization, and um, so they knew who to call on. Yeah. This is such a personalized journey. Church is going to continue to grow. It's not our work. It's his. It's the Savior's. And we're going to go up and down. People are always going to go up and down, but this is a personal journey. And do we make it personal like our prophets, seers, and revelators are teaching us to make our journeys personal? Our testimonies are personal. The decisions we make every day are personal. Are we lifting and are we brightening those lives around us? And are we looking for them and do we care about them? And if that can happen, some remarkable things can happen. This, this is my work yeah. and my glory to bring to pass. That is his work. Yeah. I want to, I know we want to save some time for some questions here, but I, I want to go to a, a subset of ministering, and it has to do with helping people to become the very best that they can become. So if I give you just a little bit of um, Results from our last Voice of the Workforce, our all-employees survey. Here's what, the, you know, what we found. So a question that's in the survey it says, I receive helpful coaching from my manager on my professional development. About 69% positive. That you may say, is that good or bad? But it, it basically is one of the 10 lowest scores in all of the survey that we take. So I'm just wondering if we just take a few minutes before we get into Q&A. Do you have any examples from your own experience, your own careers, whether it's the church or before that or whatever, where somebody took a vested interest in you and helped you to become the very best person you could become? Any examples of that, thoughts of that? Can I just start here? Shame on us. Shame on us, working here in this privileged situation, if that's one of the lowest percentages on any kind of a survey. Because that's certainly not what the Lord wants. And so I, I hope that's not too harsh. But I believe it. Do we really understand what we have and what's going on here? I mean, just think of what just happened in Rome, Italy. My goodness. And then what President Nelson said. 
about how this is just the start of things. And I'm thinking, well, what happened in the last year? I thought that was the start of things. But can we just do a little bit better to put our arms around people and help people? And I want to just use this example very quickly, Ben. Ben has been working on service missionaries for the last seven years. He's had a passion to help young missionaries who have never had a chance to serve a mission go serve a mission. And so he has nurtured this along with Brad Baker. Well, right before our Christmas break, I was given the responsibility now as the ecclesiastical leader over all of our service missionaries. Well, that had to be hard on Ben. We've never even talked about this because of all of the hours and all of the time he spent into it, spent developing this thing. But he just said, okay, here's the way it is. Let's go. So they just dutifully fell right in line. So this is interesting because President Cook of the seven presidents of the 70 worked very closely with Elder Renlin, who is the apostle to oversee this. And so Carl calls me and said, okay, we're going to meet with Elder Renlin. Let's go to his office. We walk in there and Elder Renlin just said, okay, here's the way the Lord wants it done. From the first presidency in the Quorum of the Twelve. Here it is. Here are the parameters. Now build this thing. And he said, we're here to support you any way we can. So now, what has happened in the last two and a half months, after seven years of sleepless nights and tireless service, is now just blossoming. And that can happen for every one of us. Not just here at this level. That can happen with every one of us if we have the right attitude. And here are perfect examples of exactly, I think, what you're talking about. I think, I think if I could just add to that, I think most of the people that we work with just have such a high desire to, to please and to do well. And especially with the church, you know, to also build the kingdom. Not, it's just not just a job. And so I think partly maybe reflected in that survey is also, you know, is someone helping you to become what, you know, you could become. In a way, they're maybe saying, well, maybe I'm not where I need to be or maybe I'm not enough. And so they have a tendency to be a little harder on themselves. I think it's easier to help people develop and have trust and faith in the Lord if we show confidence and that they're doing a good job. Let me just share you just a very simple experience that personally just made a difference. So in New Zealand, you know, it's, it's a wonderful place, but to, to be called to serve as the mission president, everybody reminds you, oh, this is where Matthew Cowley served. You know, this is where he raised those from the dead. You know, this is where he performed all these miracles. And so the expectation for a mission president, at least when I was there, was pretty high. It was lowered one after you got there. <laughs> but I just remember feeling the first few months just like, oh, I'm just, I'm just not doing what I was called to do. Baptisms were just, just okay. And uh, I would come in at night to the mission uh, office, which was at the bottom of the area office. And there was a, a custodian that cleaned up at night. And almost every night when I'd come in late, he was there cleaning up and he'd look at me and he'd say the first night, hey, Prez, you're doing a good job. I said, what? <laughs> you know, he thinks I'm doing a good job, you know. So I didn't do it. I went that. Next night I come back, hey, Prez, 
You're doing a good job. And I just thought, oh, thank you. Alan, his name was Alan. Alan, how are you? And talked to him for a minute. And then I went through. And then one day I was coming home. And I didn't need to stop. But I thought, oh, I'll stop by. Well, what is it that I want to stop by? Well, I don't know. I just want to stop by. I want to see Alan. I really realized that, that just sometimes, hey, you're doing a good job. And I think there are those employees and with their abilities and capabilities that are sometimes just kind of craving to say, hey, you're doing a good job. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting to me that for the first time with my assignment, I went back to New Zealand and uh, the family said, oh, who are you going to go see? You know, so I was thinking of who to see. When I landed and I saw the office, you know who I thought of? I thought of Alan. I wonder if he still works here. <laughs> and I didn't have time to go. But I think, I think the difference that anyone can make, but especially someone in positions of responsibility like yours, something simple, I appreciate you. You're doing a good job. I think will help them feel, just like Bum Phillips said to you, I trust you. You're doing a good job. It's like... Oh, okay, maybe I am appreciated, and I think everybody would be elevated. That's what President Nelson does. Hey, you're doing a good job. Very good. I love the fact that um, he said, you're doing a good job, President. He knew what you were doing. I think that's maybe. important. Well, I, I think it's important that we, as in a leadership role that you have in, in management, that you actually know what your, your people are doing. Um, mm. Because it's, it gives them confidence. And it also instills a trust. I, I had a wonderful manager who um, was helpful in leading me into management, and he was from Iran. And in Iran, um, women are um, property. And we talked about this a lot. But he um, actually was just different than his culture. And he was one that, not even a member of the church, but he knew the worth of souls. And he had a trust in people that was just inspiring. And you just felt when you're around Sam Muhammad that you could do it. And he just gave you that, um, the feeling. And I was just out of college and, and, um, he'd give me a responsibility and I thought, I I don't even know how to do this, Sam. Oh, you'll figure it out and then come back to me and with what your plan is. And, and I'm sure I came to him with silly plans, maybe a little bit like the brother Jared with stones. And, well, I can touch those. But um, the thing that I loved about him is he was able to install in me, you know what, you can do this. And I think all of us need to um, be given that trust and that confidence. And as you look at all the people that report to you, um, you know, the simple, do you know their name? What is their responsibility? And what are their challenges? Just time with people. And that's what the Savior showed in that, and that's what our dear prophet does to all of us. But, Bonnie, you taught us a very important principle, that you just go after it. I mean, for three straight weeks, it is a phone call. You just go after it. And so we have a part to play in that. We can't just sit back and wait for somebody to come and develop our skills. We have to have a desire to have something and to want something and to have a vision for ourselves. We've got to... We've got to say, you know, am I okay right here? Do I want to continue to grow and develop? And then through these relationships, you do it. And that's what you did. And because of that, you continued to be elevated and you continued to show the talent that you had. 
to lift people and help people and lift a company, right? Well, and, and we lift wherever we're at, just even, even that, uh, the janitor. I love that story. And by the way, I think Alan is doing well. If it's the same Alan that I know. Really? So, we'll we, hope it's the same Alan. Yeah. Alan? Like Alan. Yeah. And we all have Alans in our lives. Absolutely. And, Very good. And hopefully, once in a while, we can be an Alan in someone else's yeah. life. So, brothers and sisters, we, want to, we don't have a lot of time, but we do want to open this up for questions, including those uh, who are not here, uh, to be able to text their questions in. We'll see what we can do. But here's what I'd like to do at the very end. I want to make sure we have enough time. I've asked each of them if they would share with us their favorite example from the scriptures of the Savior ministering to the one and then end with their personal testimonies. So we want to make sure we have a chance to hear from all three of them. Um, when they are finished, we have asked uh, Nanette Swanson, who is the global manager of Church Travel Services, uh, if she would offer the closing prayer. But uh, So let's get started here with a few minutes that we have. And again, the, the kind of the instructions are the same. Please stand up, wait for the microphone to come your way, and then speak clearly into the microphone so our three guests have an opportunity to hear you and be able to answer. Okay? Any questions that you have? For 50 bucks. Any questions? Incentive. <laughs> Thank you. What has helped you in the spur of the moment to answer a question, or res- to give a response when maybe the intent wasn't mean, but it felt it? How have you responded, remembered to minister, and to look beyond maybe what was given unintentionally in a way that was, could really answer the intent. Does that make sense? Say it one more time, please. So if somebody asks you a question or, or says something, gives you a statement that hurts, it wasn't intentional, and you want... We have these experiences, and we know that we want to minister. We've had experiences where we've been ministered to, and you want to learn to become able to do that. How do you get beyond and remember in the moment those experiences that you've had, the Allens, so that you don't respond emotionally, but you respond as the Savior would? How do you develop that skill? How do you remember? I'll jump in. I've, uh, you know, in my career, in my life, it would seem that there were those people that I could get along with really well. But, But there were always some that I just, frankly just to soon not be with. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so sometimes I'd, I'd, I'd like it. And it bothered me for a number of years because I would know if I were moved or in a new situation or a new project or whatever I was doing that sometimes some people just bothered me. And that started to really bother me, especially as we look at having Christ-like attributes. And uh, as I studied that, I thought, well, let's look at some talks. And I can't remember the order, but I remember studying... You know, President Benson's talk on pride, Marlon Jensen's talk on pride. And as I started thinking about pride, I started thinking, well, wait, is it them or is it me? And then I found myself coming to a question, is it pride that's affecting this relationship? And do you want to know what? <laughs> that I started to realize that most of those times when I was offended or 
it was just awkward, or I wanted to say, or I did say something that I wish I wouldn't have, or they could just feel that I was upset, that I would just think, was it pride? And then I would think, yes. And I would find that little element of pride and then just try to have less pride. And I found that, that it's not others that have the problem, but it's, it often started here with me. And I think sometimes just having that, having that in mind helps you in those situations to where it's much easier just to roll and to see the good in others without taking offense. That's great. I have a question. I'm not sure where it comes from. Maybe it's from Houston. Maybe it's from Bum. I'm not sure. But uh, it says, how do you balance being kind and firm simultaneously, especially in the workplace? I think that's directed to me. <laughs> so I, I, think this, I think this word balance is a very interesting word. We're going to continue to hear a lot more about balance. I serve right now as an assistant executive director in the missionary department. And all missionaries are taught as soon as they enter the field to adjust to missionary life. They're given a booklet, Adjusting to Missionary Life, and it's all about balance. And I absolutely love the scripture in Luke 2.52 because this is the teaching of the Savior himself. And it's all about balance. Jesus uh, grew in wisdom and stature and with God and man. And you think about wisdom, that's your intellect. And your stature is your physical side. With God is your spiritual side. And with man is your social side. And I think if you're growing in those four areas emotionally, you should be in pretty good shape. So those five key areas of life. And so when you think about that, the, the balance of life, and if I understand, I'm not sure if I'm an- answering this question correctly, and I might be just messing this whole thing up. I can tell you that. Wendy sometimes helps me understand that. Um, but it is, it is trying to have this balance where you, you, we're all trying to increase in all parts of our lives and then help everybody else increase in their parts of life that has those different components of balance. And you know what? I think um, in the workplace, that is so important. And we've got to be kind to ourselves. And we've got to, we've got to be patient with ourselves and continue to build all parts of our lives. I think I would go there, and I think I just messed that whole question up. But that's, I really believe in balance. Any other thoughts? I, I love the balance, and I also love that as leaders, we need to prepare spiritually. I think the Holy Ghost really is a great teacher for all of us. And as we seek to um, increase our capacity for revelation, when we have these circumstances in our Work and are in our um, field with an, an employee or with with any situation. There are times when we have to be firm and we've got to okay. Here's the challenges that we're having, and as we listen, I think the Holy Ghost gives us is a great tutor, and He can teach us at the very minute, the very second that we need it. But I think we all need to I th- always be seeking to know 
how we're going to do this. And I think the Spirit will tell us if we have that spirit of, I've got this situation. I think we need to be very intentional about pleading with the Lord in our situations at work so that we are aware of the quiet whisperings of how to balance that and, and make it so that as we send that employee back to their family, how are we sending them back? Can I just add to this? I, I think it's important for us to be able to take criticism, which is really hard for me, but, but be able to be a, adjusted in my life in games. You, you have a game plan. You go into a game, and you've looked at video all week, and you've put together plays to defeat the people that you're playing against. But successful teams always adjust every quarter, You always hear about halftime adjustments. You're always adjusting. And you adjust because the defense is trying to stop you. And they know what you've seen. And so they're always changing. And so we need to always understand that we're adjusting. And we need to take corrective criticism when we get it. I remember Bum did that to me. Um, he said, I can trust you in any situation, but we need to increase your skills here. We've got to increase your skills here. You're a long way from being polished as an NFL quarterback, but we, we're going to work with you. We're going to keep working with you. And to accept that, I could have gone home and my balance wheel could have been just shattered. But I said, no, I'm going to take that criticism and I'm going to try and get better. And I think yeah. we've all faced that. We're all trying to get better. So handling balance. Did you have anything on that? No. Okay. Other questions from the audience? Here we go. Hi. I was wondering if you could give us some tips on prioritizing our, our regular tasks so that we can make more time for ministering to the one at work. Thank you. I have a short answer. Ask your wife. That's all I have to say. <laughs> Any other thoughts? Okay. From I, the two of you, I, okay. I, I would, I mean, that's, that's just generally speaking. But, but if you can find someone that, that loves you and appreciates you and that cares about you, and so maybe in the home environment, maybe it is your wife, but maybe there is an associate or someone you work for or someone that you report to. You know, maybe it's a priesthood leader. I think, I think sometimes, I'm, I'm not talking about simple prioritization, but I'm, sometimes to get that right balance and to focus on the most important things, I think others sometimes can look and help you see things more clearly than, than you see when you're doing it. Uh, I feel that way with the apostles. You know, I'm helping them in a couple of areas. And sometimes I might be spending a lot of time doing things that I think are important. And then sometimes they'll say, well, what about this? See, I think Elder Cook, you answered the question earlier in our session by asking me the question, whose priority is it? And I think you could say the same thing here. Whose tasks are they? Are they yours or are they Lord's? And so I think there's an implication here for us to constantly be in tune to the one who runs this church. It's true. So are you asking, was he asking about uh, a task like, like the task we have every day? Is that what, 
like the, the different things that we do every day? Yeah, I'm, I'm just thinking in the, in the realm of uh, simplifying our, our yeah. work lives so that we can focus more on, on ministering to others. Yeah. Well, boy, don't we have a lot of tasks around here. I mean, my list of texts, I don't know if I like the Internet. How many texts that I receive every day and before I get done, I've got to go through so many of those and how do you prioritize them and how do you get back to the people you need to get back to? I look at that every day. That's a great question because it's hard. Let me, let me touch upon it, though. It's an interesting question because the way you stated it is how could I prioritize my list so I could spend more time to minister? That's how I think. President Nelson thinks differently. On his list, how can I minister and, oh, by the way, accomplish some of those other things that are on my list? So I think rather than thinking about ourselves, what do I need to do, what do I want to accomplish, I think if we viewed ourselves as an instrument in the Lord's hands and, and you know, kind of like a bishop's storehouse, what can I do today? Then I think his priorities would be higher than ours but somehow we would be able to accomplish the things that were left over instead of not getting to the things that really matter. That's good. I'm going to hit one more question here before we get to our, our final question and, and uh, testimonies. Because I think this is a, a rejuvenation capability question, but it's how do, we, how do you continue to minister to the one when you feel you have nothing left to give? That's the best time. Yeah. That's when your bucket becomes fuller as you minister to the one. If you have nothing left to give, minister. It's an amazing principle. I don't know how it works. Because as you minister, your bucket gets fuller. And that's an interesting principle. But when he says this, as you minister to the one, when you have nothing left to give. I find when I'm just spent, I have nothing left. I'm just so tired. Um, Maybe there has been a lot of criticism. You, know, you just feel like you're spent. And as you look outward, there is an amazing healing that happens to your own soul. And as you feel that, and as you reach outward, um, whatever it is, the this, this Spirit fills you, and your bucket gets fuller and fuller. And so I think that's why we continue to minister, don't we? Because we're always looking to fill our buckets. And so as you as, as leaders, as in your callings, at home, as parents, as you look out towards others, you find that it changes you. So let me just share. I appreciate Bonnie. So I was with her this week. And I also had a state conference where we visited a, a girl who was a young woman who was recovering, had been in primary children's hospital, very serious accident that Bonnie had Uh, visited her in the hospital and then said, oh, and when you're finished, come visit me. So I kind of arranged it. So this, the the only time she could really see her would be, I think it was 5 or 5.30 at the end of the day. And I thought, oh, Bonnie just has got to be exhausted. Yet this young woman and her mother and her grandparents were coming to see her. And I I really thought, I thought, whoa, what is Bonnie going to say? You know, here at the end of the day. And in a sense, it could have been at the end of the day when you had nothing to give. She saw this young woman and she said, Oh, and I won't call her name, Mary, you are beautiful. And she just went and just hugged her. 
and just sat with her. And then she put her in her office chair and she just loved her. So I think when we say minister, it's to love. And Bonnie taught me that. And we all have capacity to love. Can I look at it just a little bit differently? So have nothing left to give. That might be the end of the day when we have just, we're just spent. We've given it all we have and we feel like we've nothing, we, we have nothing left to give. Let me say this. We always have something to give. Because we are noble and great sons and daughters of a loving Heavenly Father. And sometimes we feel like that maybe hope is gone and we can't take another step and we can't take another breath. We can do that. We can always give something. Um, I just think of the refreshment I get when I go to the temple. And when I read the Book of Mormon, when I just do the little things, I look at our dear prophet and he always keeps his tank filled because he's got his own little place to study in his own home where he receives his own revelation. And so I hope... I hope that question is not that we feel like we don't have anything left to give because we all have beautiful talents and we all have beautiful spirits and we can give a lot. So that's just another way to look at it. So brothers and sisters, I wish we could go on with our our Q&A, but I want to make sure that there's ample time for our three guests to do uh, two things. One... I'd like each of you uh, to share your favorite example, the one that brings you the kind of inspiration about how the Savior ministered uh, to the one. And then secondly, and probably most importantly, is, is your personal testimonies. And we'd love each one of you to do that before we end. I personally want to thank all three of you. Um, and like I say, it's, I, I, I told you so. It's, you just kind of become their friends that you feel accepted, you feel good about being around them, and you've certainly done that today. We have learned from you. We've been humbled by you. And I think we do walk away with the charge to do everything we can in our work to exercise, to emulate the President Nelson touch. So thank you for that. Want me to start? Certainly. Okay. So just thinking about uh, the Book of Mormon and about the scriptures and and favorite stories. Can you even imagine this? Think about this. Every decision, everything we do every day will lead us to this. Behold my beloved son in whom I am well pleased in whom I have glorified my name. Hear ye him. Behold, I am Jesus Christ, whom the prophets testified shall come into the world. And I testify to you that that happened. And there were many that decided, nah, I don't want to be a part of this. Great cities were destroyed. Some of Heavenly Father's choicest children were destroyed. But there were 2,500 of them that stayed faithful and stayed strong. When everybody else was telling them it's not right, it's not true, they had a chance to hear those precious words as the Father introduced the Son. 
And I think this is the essence of what we have been talking about today. And it came to pass that the multitude went forth and they thrust their hands into his side. And they did feel the prints of the nails in his hands and in his feet. And this they did do going forth one by one. One of the six places in the Book of Mormon where you hear that term. It's so personal. Until they had all gone forth and did see with their eyes and did feel with their hands and did know of a surety. Think about that. We all exercise our faith. But there's going to come a time when we're going to have pure knowledge. We're going to actually feel the prints of the nails in the, in the hands and the feet of the Savior. And did bear record that it was he of whom it was written by the prophets that should come. I love the Book of Mormon. I love to read about the Savior and his ministry. And sometimes this life can be a little bit lonely. Sometimes the challenges of this life are pretty hard to overcome. You can have things sailing along pretty well. And then all of a sudden something will happen that will just knock you off your feet. And do we have that sure foundation through exercising our faith or look for that sure foundation as we exercise our faith that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. I testify as a special witness of Jesus Christ that he is the living Savior of the world. That our work here is very unique because we're paid employees, but we're building the kingdom in the most remarkable time in the history of this world. I testify to you that I know that Heavenly Father has a perfect plan for all of his sons and daughters. And how grateful I am for that plan. And so grateful for Jesus Christ condescending to leave his heavenly home and come and help us heal from the challenges of this earthly existence in our journey. And that everything's going to be okay. And we're going to have that opportunity to feel the Savior's marks. I testify to you that I know that President Russell M. Nelson is his prophet. What a joy it is to be in this time to see what is happening. Just think about what's happened in the last year alone. I don't know what's going to happen at General Conference. But I'm so grateful to be led by President Nelson. Because of Jesus Christ, we have everything. My dear friends and my dear brothers and sisters, we have his church. We have his priesthood. We have his temples. We have his atoning sacrifice, most importantly. We have his ordinances. We've got his covenants. We've got each other. Because of Jesus Christ, we have everything. I love Jesus Christ, and I express my deep love to all of you in the sacred name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I love that, that we can be of good cheer because of our Savior. When you said your favorite, that's always hard, but I'd love to highlight one. And... um, It's found in Luke 7, 
just a small little snippet, we find the Savior, he was in Capernaum doing a great work. And then it says in the scriptures here, which I think is fascinating, it says, and it came to pass the day after he went into a city called Nain. Now, this was about 33 miles from where he was. So to get there, about 10-hour walk or more, in one day, and I think this, this story reminds me of the love and the concern of the individual and that the worth of souls is great. And he went there, and it says, Now when he came nigh to the gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. I think that's fascinating that he then told her to weep not. And her heart was breaking. How did the Savior of the world know that this dear widow was losing her son, probably her financial support, all that she held dear as a widow, she didn't necessarily ask for this miracle, but maybe she did in her prayers the night before. That someone healed her heart. And he told her to weep not. And then he said, and he came and touched the barrier, and they bare him, stood still. And he said, young man, I say unto thee, arise. What a call from a savior of the world to arise. And the young men, the dead sat up and began to speak, and he was delivered to his mother. This wonderful story reminds me of individual needs are known by the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ. That he realizes that we are in this mortal state and that we will have trials and tribulations, but as we turn to the Lord, they will not become stumbling blocks. We truly will be tried and tested. Um, but the, the call for all of us is to arise and to come unto him and that he will walk with us through our trials and that they will become part of that refining fire for each one of us to help shape us, to help us become who we need to be so that as we return to our Heavenly Father, we can have his image in our countenance. I am grateful with all my heart that we are loved. I am grateful for the gospel of Jesus Christ, the opportunity to really walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, not faith in Google or all the other crazy things in this world, but faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I love the opportunity he gives us to repent. Each day we get to try over, do it again, Try it a different way, um, trying to reach out and be more like the Savior. How we hold dear those covenants that we get to make, those ordinances that we receive at baptism, opportunity to go to the temple and receive ordinances. I am grateful that he gets, gives us the opportunity to endure to the end. I love the doctrine of Christ. I love our prophet. And I know we're all taking our vitamins, just like he said, so that we can keep pace with him. I love the Book of Mormon. How grateful I am for the words that are found there. 
that teaches us how to come unto Christ. And that we can remember him when the world's hung in balance, the Lord, our Savior Jesus Christ, remembered us. And I pray that we will always remember him and that he will always be before our face and that we will do that which he would like us to do in a small and simple ways which will make a difference in our lives and the lives of those around us. I testify he lives. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Bonnie. Gif. It's good to be with you, Ben. So when you say the favorite scripture, the the Come Follow Me team has changed that. Every week it seems like I've got a new favorite scripture. And today my new favorite scripture will be from Luke 7. And it says this, verse 36. And one of the Pharisees desired him that he would eat with him. That's pretty interesting. So a Pharisee desired to eat with the Savior. And he went unto the Pharisee's house and sat down to meet. I think that's wonderful. When you think of all that he had to do, someone desired him to do something and the Savior accepted. And behold, a woman in the city, which was a sinner, someone's judging, when she knew that Jesus sat at meat in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster box of anointment and stood at his feet behind him weeping and began to wash his feet with tears and did wipe them with the hairs of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee saw which had bidden him, saw it, he spake within himself saying, This man, if he were a prophet, would have known who and what manner of woman this is that toucheth him, for she is a sinner." And Jesus answered and said unto him, Simon, I have somewhat to say unto thee. Almost like, are you willing to listen? And he says, and he saith, Master, say on. And there was a certain creditor which had two debtors, and the one owed five hundred pence, and the other owed fifty. And when they had nothing to pay, he frankly forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which of them will love him most? Simon answered and said, I suppose that he to whom he had forgave most. And he said unto him, Thou hast as righteously judged. And he turned to the woman and said unto Simon, Seest thou this woman? I entered into thy house, and thou gavest me no water for my feet. But she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hairs of her head. Thou gavest me no kiss, but this woman... Since the time I came in, hath not ceased to kiss my feet. My head with oil didst thou not anoint, but this woman hath anointed me, my feet with this ointment. Wherefore I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. And he said unto her, Thy sins are forgiven. And they that sat at meat with him began to say within themselves, Who is this that forgiveth sins also? And he saith to the woman, Thy faith hath saved thee. Go in peace. The Savior blessed Simon. He blessed the Pharisee. He blessed the woman. He saw things differently. Uh, I have a testimony that, uh, that he is our Savior and that he desires to bless us. He desires to share with us mercy and to forgive us. 
I also want to bear my testimony that uh, President Nelson is a, is a prophet, seer, and revelator. And today, as we've talked, I just thought, what's on his list? I have had my testimony reaffirmed that as he does the Lord's work in ministering to us and to others, the Lord is magnifying him to do the rest of the things that he needs to do with his calling. So my testimony is that if we do that which the Savior would do and do our best to do the Lord's work, the Lord will help us fulfill all of those other tasks and priorities that weigh heavy on our minds. I bear my testimony that uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ is true and that through Jesus Christ we can receive his grace and mercy. May we all receive it, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity that we have had to gather as colleagues and as leaders in in thy church. We thank thee for those who have taken the time to speak to us and pray that our hearts and minds may be opened to the inspiration we have received to do even better as we strive to minister with love and kindness to those around us. We thank thee, Father, for the spirit we have felt today and pray that we may carry it forward as we work to build thy kingdom throughout the world. And we say these things in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.